Blog Talk Radio. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And we'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And there's been so much happening, so much happening. I missed you guys last week. Um, There won't be a show next Sunday either. So I just wanted to make sure that you all know that. No show next Sunday, but we have about 300 archives for you to enjoy. So there's been a lot happening, you know, in the United States as well as other places. But, you know, today's topic is, did these black lives matter before they became a hashtag? And I think that's a very important, you know, um, topic for us to talk about because, you know, personally, yes, they did matter before they became a hashtag. Um, I had a recent an incident most recently, which is why I didn't do the show last Sunday, but a young man that, you know, I've known since he was four years of age lost his life. He was killed here in Chicago, and his name was Von Zilbanks. And Bonzil, exceptional, exceptional young man. Him and his siblings, the other brother and sister. And, you know, I was trying to go to the funeral. I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. But I, w- I did watch it over Ustream. And needless to say, I cried from the beginning to the end. And Bonzil, he will truly be missed. You know, he's, he's you know, he was a wonderful young man. And so what was interesting, Mayor Emanuel, Rahm Emanuel, was at the funeral, and he was talking about hard conversations. He was saying that there was a hard conversation that we were going to have to have, and he was referring to parents that aren't engaged with their children, and in particular, fathers. And so, you know, I was rather insulted by that, and... I'm actually going to write a blog about it, and we're going to end up doing a show about it because studies have shown that black fathers are more engaged with their children than white fathers. And so we need to start challenging these, you know, false um, um, tropes that they're putting out here, these false narratives, because, again, we have enough that we're dealing with. We don't need to add on to that. We're trying to lift our spirits and tell the good things that are happening in in our community. So that's coming up on another day, but today, you know, we have a guest and this is Aislinn from Black Lives Matter Chicago. And we're honored to have her with us today. So Aislinn, please introduce yourself to everybody and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um <clears throat> my name is Aislinn and I'm with Black Lives Matter Chicago. Um, and we have been organizing pretty consistently since the Freedom Rights of Ferguson that happened um, uh, Labor Day weekend uh, of last year. And right now the main campaign that we're focusing on is the Fire Servant campaign. Dante Servin is the uh, police detective that killed, shot and killed Rakia Boyd. Um, and he was acquitted of all charges um, on August 20th of this year, 
by Judge Porter um, in a rare directed verdict. Um, and in his ruling, Judge Porter said that um, Servin was not guilty of involuntary manslaughter because what he did was not involuntary, it was intentional, and therefore he should have been charged with first-degree murder, which is ridiculous. Um, so instead of charging him with anything, he's, he's walked free. And as a result, what we've been doing is organizing and showing up at all of the police board meetings uh, to demand that CPD fire Dante Servin from the force. Exactly. And for those that aren't familiar with the story, maybe the name Rakia Boyd will ring for you because um, Servin was the one that, you know, killed Rakia Boyd. And so there's a change.org petition out there for, you know, for Chicago and for different people all over the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you sign a petition, but the petition is for Servin to be Fired. You know, that's that's what we're aiming for, to have him, you know, fired from the police department. And in addition to that, have them file the correct charges against him. Do you think that's ever going to happen? Do you believe they're ever going to charge him with, with um, murder? Well, because of double jeopardy, he can't be charged again. So exactly. he can't be charged by the state. Um, now there is a there is an effort. The family is working to have the Department of Justice charge him. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the you know the DOJ has a, a very um, is very unreliable. So um, of course we're going to still pursue that because we want to pursue all legal avenues possible. But we're not holding our breath. Um, like what they did with Ferguson, instead of actual, instead of, you know, um, uh, charging, um, you know, any any of the officers and any of the police department, any anyone in charge in Ferguson, they just wrote a condemning paper with recommendations. Right. Um, so what we want is actual consequence, actual accountability, um, and. Um, while we will pursue the DOJ, we're still um, organizing to demand that Dante Servin be fired. And that's that's one part of the campaign. The other parts include making sure that Anita Alvarez, the state's attorney, is not reelected. Um, uh, another part is demanding the resignation of Superintendent McCarthy, who commented on the case and said that Charges shouldn't have been brought against Servant at all in the first place. Mm-hmm. And we want Rahm Emanuel to defund CPD. So it's part of a four, uh, five-pronged um, strategy. Excellent, excellent. And for those out there that aren't familiar with the term double jeopardy, he's already been charged once and you know, acquitted, well, not necessarily acquitted, the judge threw the case out. And so he can't be charged again, so that's why they're wanting to have federal charges brought against him. But, you know, as past, the past has shown, you know, that that's not pretty much just not going to happen. 
they just wrote a report like they did for Ferguson, and, you know, Eric Holder was in office then, and now we have Loretta Lynch as, you know, uh, it's just it's interesting as the, you know, attorney general. So, guys, we just want you all to be familiar with the terms, familiar with what happened, and basically, you know, this case was kind of chastised because the judge was upset because he was undercharged, serving was undercharged, and that's why he gave the ruling that he gave, but just the details as to why he had to throw it out and how, you know, serving was undercharged, it just shows, you know, how people are complicit, and this was being done on purpose. And this is happening across the country, which is why we're out here demanding some changes, you know, happen. So, you know, it's important that we have these conversations. And yesterday, something very important happened as well. Um, You know, Netroots Nation had a debate set up with Bernie Sanders and, you know, members of Black Lives Matter interrupted uh, the debate. So it and so what were you not the debate, it was an interview, my apologies there. So what did you think of that, Ace? From what I saw and I you know, all the information that I saw was was via Twitter, it looked really cool. I thought that the chanting and the spontaneous protest that um that happened was was really on point. I don't know the details, all I know is from what I caught on Twitter, which was that there were some comments made um, that basically kind of delegitimized the, the the movement that's been going on for the past 10 months um, and kind of um, being com- complicit with um, uh, impunity for cops. So that's all I know about it, but what I saw in response to that were the pictures that came out, and that just looks really inspiring of the spontaneous protest. Excellent, excellent. And as they said, you know, they're going to shut down every debate until our issues are being put on this platform and they address it. So that's absolutely fantastic. So again, for those of you out there, this is not the this is not the end. We still have a long way to go. But, you know, it's great that they were able to get some press. But with Bernie Sanders, you know, I think they'll be able to get an audience with him. So hopefully this will lead to us, you know, being able to talk with these people and that they will start adding our issues, you know, our demands to their platform, especially during these debates. You know, because black lives do matter, and they matter before they became a hashtag. And what's interesting is over the past week, we saw what was happening, what happened to Sandra Bland, as well as Kendra Chapman. And what's happening here is these are black women that are dying while in police custody. Now, those are only a couple of names. You have Shanique Proctor as well, but there are many, many more, which is why, you know, we have that Say Her Name campaign and, you know, Black Women Matter as well. And so on Twitter this week, they had, you know, a hashtag, if I die in police custody. And it's it's just, it's mind-blowing. You know, um, I actually got upset reading some of those tweets. And upset because 
just being pulled over for a minor traffic violation or just walking down the street and have someone imagine you don't have a police officer imagine that you looked at them the wrong way. You can lose your life for that. So I want to state for the record, if I die in police custody, it was not suicide. Trust me, it was not suicide. I am not, you know, of that particular mindset. And I want you guys to raise hell. And that's what I, you know, that's what I expect. I expect everybody to raise hell, especially my family. Don't let them sweep this under the rug. I know you all will be upset, but I want you guys to pursue it. What about yourself, Isla? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the fact that that hashtag now is a thing is, both um, heartbreaking but also necessary. Um, Sandra Bland made, you know, she was a supporter of of the Black Lives Matter movement and commented on it and commented on the power of social media via, you know, little video clips that she put out um, and the importance of using it. And now it's just becoming more and more clear that you know, we have to create this, we have to create a counter hegemony. And I think that's part of what, you know, this hashtag is, is making it public. If I die in police custody, because it could be any of us. She was right. she was there for an interview, drove from Naperville, Village, a suburb of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, two days later, it's found dead in her cell. It could have been any one of us. Exactly. It could have been. It could have been any one of us. And she was going there, you know, the job of her dreams. And, you know, what I hate the most about, you know, when our cases are publicized is they bend over backwards to find anything wrong that we may have done. Oh, she cut her hangnail too low and had to go to the hospital. <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. a number of things. And what they do is they try to convict these black people in a court of public opinion. And we're just saying, don't fall for it. We want you to question everything, challenge everything that they say. Don't believe them. Make them show you the paperwork, show you the evidence. They got to have their receipts. So, you know, this is what we're saying. And it's a shame that we have to have these type of hashtags out there, you know, to to protect ourselves. And it's just amazing. So, you know, today we're going to talk about did these black lives matter before they became a hashtag. And so I would like Aislinn's opinion on that. Did they they matter before the hashtag to you? Well, to me, yes. Um, you know, black lives, all black lives matter, all black trans lives matter, all black workers' lives matter, um, all of our lives matter, regardless of whether or not we have a hashtag. Um, but I think the real question is, do they matter to society as a whole? And right. and and do they matter to society as a whole, even with the hashtag? <laughs> you know, now, now we have Sandra Bland's death, and on the news, I see, you know, coverage that's only talking about the, the shooting at that um, uh, military base um, and going into the psychology of that shooter. And, you know, the, they, they are so quick to just 
skip over our death. Um, and that and that shooting is in, immediately being called a terrorist attack, whereas, you know, the shooting in South Carolina never was called terrorist attack. Um, and, you know, so it's uh, our fight with these hashtags is, is our fight to reaffirm our humanity and to force the conversation and to demand that mainstream take a look at what's happening. And, you know, it's our, it's our assertion that our lives matter and each, each one of our lives matter. That's right. So, That's right. you know, there's that disconnect between our perspective and, and their perspective. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that's why I'm glad you said all black lives matter because we've seen what has been happening with, you know, trans people of color, you know, across this country. And they're being killed, and the media isn't addressing it. And like you said, they're not even addressing the issue with Sandra Bland, um, Kendra Chapman, and that's the power of black Twitter. You know, for people mm-hmm. that have negative things to say about, you know, social media, and in particular, black Twitter, black Twitter is, you know, basically forcing them to talk about issues that are important to us. And that's what I love about, you know, those of us that have, you know, come together on social media is the relentlessness and forcing them to talk about issues that are important to us forcing them to recognize us and to address, you know, these different atrocities that are happening across the country. And that's what that's one of the beautiful things about having, you know, this new technology with the Internet. It's been around a while, but for a lot of people it's new. Um, as a matter of fact, in New York City, all housing authority residents will be having free broadband soon, so they're going to guarantee them that mm-hmm. and hope that will happen across the country because, unfortunately, you know, people of color, particularly in poor areas, as well as out there in the country with, you know, poor whites in these rural, you know, um, areas, they do not have access to the Internet because it's too expensive. And there was a program out there that would give them access for $20 a month, but, you know, when you're scraping every penny together to make sure that you can get to work for the week, you know, you may or may not have lunch for that week. I mean, you know, $20 mm-hmm. is expensive. So, you know, we have to look at all of this and take all of this into consideration. So, yeah, you know, what's happening out here is it's a shame, but we're sharing the information. And, again, you know, with Black Lives Matter, it's more to Black Lives Matter that, you know, just shouting people down. There's more to what's happening. It's bringing these issues to the forefront. It's showing each other support. Um, it's addressing issues like state violence and, you know, other issues that are happening throughout the country. And so I know for Black Lives Matter Chicago, they're addressing a number of different areas. And like Aislinn said, it's a five-pronged attack, you know, and and that's absolutely wonderful, and I'm glad to have that information out there so that people will understand there are many different ways that you can contribute to Black Lives Matter. I mean, they they need resources, you know, whether it's money or 
supplies or even if you can just share the information so that it can bring more people out to the marches and, you know, the die-ins as well as to, you know, city council meetings. Um, like in Chicago, we had the CPD meeting, and they had people there, you know, speaking out. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Asa? Sure. So on Thursday was the um, uh, police Chicago Police Board hearing, and they happen every third Thursday of the month. This was our third one that we attended since the um, acquittal verdict of Dante Servan. And we packed the house again. This was our, our third time showing up. Um, we had we had so many people that they ran out of seats and some people were standing um, around in the room. And we testified before the CPD uh, police board um, and a representative of IPRA, which is the Illinois Police Review Authority, as well as Superintendent McCarthy, and gave them our testimony and reasons as to why they need to fire Dante Servin. Um, and it was a, it was one of the shorter meetings. They ended it uh, kind of abruptly, and they did that the first time as well. Um, and then afterwards, we went outside and had a rally um, right in front. And it was the, the they hold the police board meetings at the CPD headquarters on 35th and Michigan. And so we had drums, we had poetry, um, we chanted, um, and we talked about um, the facts of the case. Um, and then after that, a group of people went over to Dante Servant's house and did an impromptu um, protest in front of his house and left signs there that said fire servant. And we will be there at every police board hearing until they fire him. <laughs> Did they bring you any, you know, refreshments out while you all were picketing in front of his house? No, they didn't do anything. <laughs> they did. <laughs> also, they didn't bring out any sweet tea or anything. So, you no. know, so that hospitality is gone. So, <laughs> you know, so here's the thing that are happening, you guys. It's just it's important for you all to understand. And, you know, they're happening in some cities, and hopefully this will galvanize people in all of these different locations that have Black Lives Matter to get more engaged, and in particular, you know, politically engaged. It's important. You all, you've heard me tell you all to go and get registered to vote, and then after you register, show up and actually vote. And, you know, I talk about all politics is local because what happens in your cities or towns or what have you affects you more directly than, you know, the laws from federal, even though the federal laws can supersede state laws. But you need to know who your district alderman is. You need to know who the mayor is. You need to know who your governor is, as well as your state, you know, um, legislatures. It's just it's important that you guys know this. And so we have another um, attack or another agenda that's going forward in Chicago, and it's called CPAC. So before you all get to clutching your pearls out there, we're not talking about the Conservative Political Action Committee. Not that CPAC. This is the Chicago Police Auxiliary Committee. And so, Aislinn, do you want to share a little bit about what, you know, CPAC is doing and, and what we're trying to achieve with that? 
Yeah, so CPAC is the uh, Civilian Police Accountability Council, and it's an ordinance that would create in every district, there are 22 police districts in Chicago, um, an elected um, civilian uh, representation uh, governing council that would have the ability to fire police officers. And so we would have representatives that would be voted in from each police district throughout the city. Um, nothing like this exists in the country, so this would be um, a very radical um, step in creating a system of accountability that doesn't exist. Um, it's not a police review board. Um, it's it's none of you know. It's it's not what we have now, which is the independent police um, review authority, which is appointed by the mayor. There's you know there's no democracy involved in that at all. You can't we can't vote these people out. They're just appointees by the mayor. Um, this would this would put power into the community's hands um, in a way that we have never seen. So, for example, Rakia's brother Martinez should be on that. Um, Pansy Edwards, who lost her son to CPD three years ago, she should be a representative on that. We should have the families who have lost um, children to police violence on these on these councils, and they should be the ones voting and deciding the future of, of officers. Um, so it would be a radical revolutionary way of, of systematizing accountability that we, we don't have in this country. Um, and so on August, I wanna say August 22nd, there's gonna be a major demonstration um, in support of this ordinance. And be on the lookout for that. You can check out the Stop Police Crimes website for more information, um, and you can also check out Black Lives Matter Chicago um, website as well. Excellent, excellent. And so, yeah, you know, anytime I see a C in Chicago, I put Chicago, but it's actually the Civilian Police Auxiliary Committee. So, guys, go and look that up and find out because there are a lot of great things happening in Chicago. And it's looking like Chicago is, you know, one of the major beacons there because we were actually able to get reparations for victims of police or state violence um, via John Burge and, you know, the atrocities that happened when he was running Chicago Police Department. Um, let's talk about that a little bit, Ace tell everybody a little bit about what happened and how we were able to achieve reparations for some of the victims. Yeah, so on May 6th, the city council officially voted to approve the reparations ordinance, which provides reparations to the survivors of police torture under John Birch, which is over 100 black men, some of whom still remain in prison today. This has been, this campaign was 20 years in the making. Um, the ordinance was written by survivors um, of the police torture and their families. Um, along with attorneys from the People's Law Office. And what it does is it provides um, $5 million in reparations to each of the survivors, so approximately $100,000 per survivor. Um, it, it demands that a, um, a therapy center be created on the south side that specializes in torture. Um, and it 
gives the all of the survivors and their families free access to um, uh, education through the city colleges, and it also demands that um, that uh, CPS, the Chicago Public Schools, teach about the John Birch torturing in eighth through twelfth grades, um, and then it also uh, provides the um, creation of a public memorial dedicated to the survivors. So there are five things that the ordinance um, covers, and it was written in order to be um, holistic um, and representing the many aspects that this torture has, has affected as far as the families um, and the survivors themselves. And it's historic. It's the first time that any city, any municipality in this country has awarded reparations to survivors of police torture. The first time. So this was historic and it sets precedence for um, every other area in this country and for the continued police torture that exists in Chicago because we know that um, we, we know that it continues um, under different police officers and different um, police leaderships and it's not just isolated to John Burge. Uh, but it, it's a start, and it's an important and historic victory. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the reason why I'm bringing all of this up, because this supports what we're saying about these Black Lives Matter before they become a hashtag. We don't want these to become a hashtag. And so, you know, we're trying different approaches so that, you know, we make positive productive change, you know, via legislation, via city ordinances, and even federal legislation, because in order for us to deconstruct white supremacy or institutionalized systemic racism is going to have to come through the political process. And so we're just showing you some of the things that are happening, that are going on. This is extremely important. And like Aislinn said, this is setting a precedent, and there are people coming from all over the country to, to, to study how Chicago was able to get reparations for the victims. Now, I have a personal story about that. I had an uncle who was taken into police custody because back in the 70s and 80s, they would say that there was a crime committed, and they would just pick up all the black guys they saw walking down the street. And my uncle happened to be one of the black guys walking down the street. And they beat him. And then they released him. But because of the way that they beat him, something started happening to his lungs. He was, you know, throwing up blood. And basically a month later, he died. So there are many of us that have personal stories about, you know, what was what happened in Chicago and why, you know, the political process that we're taking and the, the strides and gains that we're making, why it's personal. And even if it wasn't my uncle, just, you know, Tyrone down the street, it's personal because these lives matter. You know, they're human beings. They deserve to be treated as human beings. So we need to start recognizing our humanity and recognizing, you know, how we all play a part in all of this and how this affects, you know, a number of different people. And so this weekend coming up, because, you know, today is Sunday, so we're already into this week, there are some good things happening this week. Aislinn, do you want to talk about, let everybody know what's happening this weekend coming up? 
I'm excited about these guys. Yeah, we have a very historic weekend coming up. It's the Movement for Black Lives convening, which will be in Cleveland, Ohio, July 24th through the 26th. And hundreds of black freedom fighters from across the country um, and some international are going to be coming in and descending upon Cleveland. Um, and we're going to be meeting and strategizing about how to get free and in all of the manifestations, all of the implications that that has um, from talking about, you know, local kind of things that we can do in our specific regions to connecting the fight to the national fight for black liberation that has been a consistent struggle since the formation of this country. Um, so it, it's a historic it, it's a historic and exciting um, uh, time that we have before us, and we have a busload of people going from Chicago. We've packed the bus, so unfortunately we don't have any more spaces on the bus, but if you still want to go and you've registered, contact us. We can hook you up with carpools that are going down, um, but this is exciting. Exactly, and I am excited to be a part of this, and you know, we will see them there in Cleveland, and, you know, I hope everybody got a chance to check it out. Um, the Movement for Black Lives, they have a website, and you can go and check out information. I believe registration has closed, hasn't it? Yep. Yeah, registration closed on Friday, I believe. Yes. So, you know, guys, there's so much that's going to happen there. And I'll be bringing information back and sharing it with you guys. You know how I do. And, again, just exciting times, you know, we're out here. We're making people understand that we're here. And, you know, like Aislinn was just talking about, you know, how to how we can get free. And any time I hear about us getting free, I automatically go back to the movie Amistad when he was saying, mm-hmm. give us, us free. And, you know, and, and that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like, you know, getting our freedom and being able to take agency over our bodies, to have complete agency, you know, over our bodies and over, you know, the things that the matters, things that matter to us. So it's extremely, mm-hmm. extremely important. So for those of you out there, Aislinn, tell them the different websites. You're on Twitter. You're on Facebook. Give them the information so they can know how to contact you. Yep, so you can follow us on Twitter at BLMSHI. That's B-L-M-C-H-I. You can go to our website, blacklivesmatterchicago.com. You can follow us on Facebook and just Google or or, um, do the search in Facebook for Black Lives Matter Chicago. We have a group page and we also have a public page. The group page, we post a lot of discussion pieces, articles, events. um, And we have a Tumblr, Black Lives Matter Chicago um, at Tumblr, so you can follow us there as well. We will be setting up a YouTube account. Um, where we'll be posting videos. We do have some videos on our website, so feel free to check that. And um, if you forget any of the other links, just go to our website, blacklivesmatterchicago.com, and it has access to all of our other social media uh, profiles. Excellent, excellent. And, you know, I'll be sharing some more information with you guys about BLM Chicago and what's happening 
So if you all have any questions, you know, you want to hit me up in the inbox, I'll get it to you. But I'm going to put it on my wall as well so that people will be able to find all of this information. And it's not just Chicago. They have Black Lives Matter um, chapters Mm -hmm. all across the country. So it's important for you guys to go out there and look. You know, it may not be in your direct city. It may be in the city next to you. But, you know, that's a 20, 30-minute ride. It's well worth it. You know, we're we're affecting change. We're impacting legislation, you know, on the local level. And I truly believe that that's going to start happening on the federal level, and that's the reason why they are going out and they're making their presence known. And Bernie Sanders, um, he stood in solidarity with Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, he's been out there. He's been talking about Black Lives Matter before the hashtag Black Lives Matter. But it's important that he puts our needs and, and, and what we're trying to focus on on his agenda and have that information, you know, brought into the debate so that the other candidates will be held responsible as well. So it's important that we get out here and do it, and not just with Bernie Sanders, with Hillary Clinton and, you know, the little clown car for the Republican side, too. So, you know, it should be interesting watching Don Donald Trump answer, you know, do black lives really matter? Do you think he's going to skirt that issue, or do you think he's going to give one of his typical rude answers? Isla. Oh, I'm, I'm sure whatever he says, it's going to be very rude. <laughs> He's already come out against Latinos. Who knows what he will say about black lives? Right. <laughs> so that's why I call it the car. Because it's like, you know, they're going to give us jokes. It's going to be so you guys, you know, if you're not familiar with black Twitter and you want to know what's happening, you know, in the world, you know, go to black Twitter and go out there because they are on top of it. They are on top of it. So I wanted to thank Aislinn for, from, you know, Black Lives Matter Chicago. wanted to thank her for coming on the show today to discuss these issues because it's important for you guys to know that these Black Lives Matter, yours matters, yours matters, and yours matters as well. And, you know, these conversations that are being had on social media and, you know, again, you know, affecting change, exacting change you know, with um, different policies. And, you know, what's happening in Chicago is absolutely phenomenal. And so I'm honored to be a part of this. And so any parting words, Aislinn, to the black lives I hear, like you said, all black lives matter. But, you know, if you wanted to give them some words of encouragement, what would you say? I would say if you're interested in getting involved, There are so many ways that you can get involved. If there isn't a Black Lives Matter chapter in your area, you can start one, and you can contact us at Black Lives Matter Chicago if you need help. You can contact National at just blacklivesmatter um, at gmail.com. If you want to get involved with other groups that exist, like BYP100 is an awesome group. There are so many great groups that are forming up um, all of, all across the country. So, and, and if you find if you find that there isn't a group in your area that you want to join, create one. We are all about self determination. That is how we get free. Exactly. And BYP for you out there, that is Black Youth Project 100, and mm-hmm. chapters are popping up all over the place. So you know, get engaged. 
get active, you know, if you can, because, you know, some of us out here are disabled, so there are certain things that we can or can't do. And we want to make sure that people know that, you know, if you can't be out there physically or you, you don't have the finances, there are other things that you can do. Post the information so that other people can find it because there may be people in your network that actually, you know, um, that want to be a part of this, but they don't have the information. They don't know where to start. They don't know who to talk to. You know, just passing along that information, you know, helps very much so. And so, you know, there are more things to come. Black Lives Chicago, Black Lives Matter, the national, guys, there's so much that's getting ready to come. And, oh, one more thing, August. What's happening in August, Aisla, and then I'll let you go. Sure. So August in August in Chicago, we're going to have a month long of of actions and events and activities as a part of Black August, and we have come together with a number of other organizations, including Recharge Genocide, Project NIA, um, BYP 100, um, in order to provide actions and events that celebrate and honor Black women and lift up the names of Black women, Black femmes, Black trans women. Um, and so there are, there's going to be a whole month long of events happening almost every day. Um, so be on the lookout for that. You can Google um, uh, Black August Chicago, and it will take you to our Facebook page, and we have already begun posting a bunch of stuff. So um, be on the lookout for that. We also have the flyer on our website, and you can just go to our website and click the flyer, and it will take you directly to the Facebook page. All right now, so guys, get out there. This is exciting. Aislinn, thank you so very much for, you know, coming on today and passing that information. I just think that it's important that we share that and get the information out there so people will know what's happening, you know, in their own backyards, you know, what's happening yeah, in your own neighborhood. Yes, thank you. And so, Aislinn, all right, well, thank you so much for coming to the show, and we appreciate you and appreciate everything that you guys are doing here in Chicago. And I can't wait for the big bus trip. This is going to be so much fun. But, you know, thank you for, you know, uh, starting up the Chicago chapter and being there and everything that's happening out here, and it's only going to get bigger and better. So I just wanted to make sure that you know that we appreciate you and we appreciate all of the hard work. Thank you. Thank you, sis, and thank you for this podcast. It's a wonderful podcast. Well, thank you, <laughs> well, thank you so much. So, yeah, you know, we're going to keep moving, but, yeah, Ace, when you go on and you enjoy your Sunday, okay? All right. Thank you. You too. Yes, indeed. So, guys, like I said, um, there's so much that's happening. You know, that was just Black Lives Matter Chicago. Black Lives Matter Chicago. You have um, a chapter in Baltimore. They're all over the place. Just go to blacklivesmatter.com, and it'll show you the different cities. Um, And it'll take you out to the Tumblr page. And with the Tumblr page, it tells you about different activities in different cities, and it's just so much more to come. So, you know, if you guys are going to be at the conference next weekend in Ohio, you make sure to find me. I will be running around there somewhere. I'll be there. So 
you know, I am excited. It's so much just happening. But I thought it was extremely important that you all hear that hear about the political strategies that you all hear and see and understand that, you know, Black Lives Matter is more than just marching. Black Lives Matter is more than just shutting down, you know, malls, more than just shutting down debates. We are trying to affect change, real change. And it's important that we get engaged. And like I said, even for those of you that may not be able to go out physically or even contribute financially, that's fine. Pass the information along. Pass the information along because it's important. And this whole movement is in its infancy. So it's still growing. It's still growing. It's getting bigger and better. And so we're just excited to be a part of it. For those that would like to call in, our telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. And you press 1 and you'll have a chance to, you know, be a part of this conversation. But it's just been so much happening. And so, you know, what's interesting is, you know, again, like I said last Sunday, I I wouldn't have been able to make it through the show. You know, um, I attempted to go to the funeral, the memorial, and it was that Saturday, you know, and they just did it all in one shot, memorial, funeral, Burial, boom, 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 all in one day. And I just, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I really couldn't. You know, it's like I love that little boy. And I love his family. You know, I, I love them. And I was just outdone because the weekend that it happened, he was killed on July 2nd. And that weekend, I was otherwise engaged. And so I was not available um, via phone or text or even really Facebook. I popped on a time or two, but I wasn't really online. And, you know, and I was sitting there, and, you know, one of my inboxes was from, you know, a friend. And she was like, Kim, you got to call, get in touch with them now, you know, and she told me what happened, and I was just outdone. And, you know, I didn't even turn on the news. I didn't even really watch any news or anything happening in Chicago, you know, that weekend because I wanted to enjoy my weekend. And what's interesting is that Fonzel and his brother and his friend, they were playing basketball in the park that was named after Hydea Pendleton. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Hydea Pendleton was the young lady that was killed in Chicago, and she was killed right after her and, you know, her school had participated in the inauguration of Barack Obama, his second election. So they were part of that parade, if you will. And she was killed. And so they named that park after her. And the fact that he lost his life at that park, it's just, wow. And his mother, you know, Tasha, and his dad, Rufus, you know, wonderful, absolutely wonderful parents, extremely engaged and 
you know, their children. And, and, you know, if you got a kid that's on the block, they adopted those kids into their family, you know, and they were just, they're there. And I just, you know, it took a couple of days for me to catch up with them. And when I did talk to Von Zell's grandmother and his mother, you know, I was just beside myself. I didn't know what to say. And like I said, I've attended numerous funerals. You know, I've had to comfort a number of families. But when it hits close to home like that, it's like, you know, what do I say? You know, how do I, you know, comfort them? And, you know, when I need someone to hold me up too. And so it was just, it was a bit much. And so, you know, I plan on going to visit them, you know, hopefully in the next few weeks, spend some time with them because what, you know, a lot of people fail to recognize is, yeah, when, you know, people go through these types of tragedies, when it first happens, you know, everybody is there and, you know, trying to make things easier and to help out, and that's wonderful. That's a wonderful thing. But what happens afterwards? You know, and you know, a lot of people move on. We have our lives, and but they need support then too. And so that's why you know I'm just bringing this up so that you guys, you know, whether it's somebody that's close to you, friend or family, or if it's the person down the block, or what have you, or just somebody you know that went through this in their city. It doesn't necessarily have to be a black body murdered by police violence. You know, um, go spend some time with them. You know, um, if it's a month after or a couple of weeks after, a couple of days, just go and let them know that we still care after the fact. It's important because, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't know if I would have been able to survive that kind of pain. And I'm just being totally honest with you guys. That's hard. That's hard when you have to bury one of your children. And so, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. I think I'm going to write a blog about it. And for those that are interested, you can go to the peopleofcolorbeyondfaith.org site. Again, peopleofcolorbeyondfaith.org. We do have a website. And I know we're supposed to be having a conference this year. We have to change locations. So that is to be determined. You know, I am dedicated and committed to fixing that this week. So I just wanted to let you guys know it still will be in D.C. It's going to be Saturday, October 17th, and more information will be added to the site shortly, and we will be able to move forward from there. It's just that so many things have been happening um, with me and people that I love and care about that, you know, having to deal with those issues, that took priority you know, especially with some of the things that have been happening with me. So, um, you know, please beg my pardon for the delay there, but we haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I just had to put some things in perspective. And so, you know, start prioritizing things and, you know, uh, health, family, and friends, you know, that's at the top of the list. So, um, guys, like I said, did these black lives matter before they became a hashtag? And, again, my answer to that is obviously yes, they did matter. And, 
like I said, even if you can't attend or if you can't engage the families, you can always, you know, send a nice note. If they're on Twitter, you know, you can engage them that way. As a matter of fact, we were talking about Rakia Boyd, the young woman that was killed by Officer Servant here in Chicago. Her brother will be speaking at the conference. And so you have different family members of these victims, you know, out here and they're talking. Um, there was a Black Lives Matter rally the weekend. Von Zell was murdered, and I was at that rally. And there were at least, at least 2,000 people in that room. You know, they had it in a ballroom, and it was packed. You know, every seat was taken. There were people standing around the walls, people sitting on the floor. It was packed. I would say it was close to 3,000 people in that room. And so, you know, we had different mothers of different people that have been killed by state violence. And they got up there and they told their story. They were able to tell their own stories. And, you know, it was, it was, it was touching. It was actually life-changing. Um, it was one young lady, I, I apologize, I forget her name, and I don't have the program in front of me, but she was talking about her uncle. Now, this young lady is 17, and she was fierce. So as soon as I find the program, it's in my bag over there, what I'll do is see if I can find any information on her on YouTube so that you can hear some of the presentations that she's made. But I'm like, she's this way at 17. She is going to be tearing down the house when she's 25, and it was really good to see that. It was extremely inspiring seeing all of the young people. If you all had been to that rally, all of the young people. As a matter of fact, Sunday, they shut down Michigan Avenue here in Chicago, and they held a march on Michigan Avenue um, for Black Lives Matter. You know, I wasn't able to be out there in the march because the sun is the enemy for me. But, you know, I definitely supported them as I was driving by. I honked at them. You know, they recognized me. And so it was just, it was absolutely beautiful. And so this is happening all over the country. This is not just Chicago. This is not just Ferguson. This is not just Baltimore and Detroit and Los Angeles. It's more than that. And, you know, again, you can be a part of this conversation. You can be a part of this movement. And so, you know, it's going to be some developments coming out soon. And, you know, once that happens, I'll get the information to you guys. But this is an exciting time. And, like I said, if you can't be engaged, again, physically or, you know, contribute financially, just post the information. Just post the information because there may be someone who would like to be a part of this or may want to donate, and they don't know where to go. They don't know how to look it up. They're not quite sure. You post that information, and it can be passed along to them, and hopefully they'll pass it along to others and it have a positive domino effect. But this is extremely important. It's extremely important that you know and you understand that all black lives matter, you know, all brown lives matter, all red lives matter. And and, and, and see, and I know there are some people that are at home shaking their head because, you know, again, we've had issues of people appropriating 
you know, what's happening, you know, and the reason why I'm talking about brown lives and, you know, red lives and yellow lives is because, you know, people in these different demographics, they've been affected by state violence as well. You know, Native Americans have been, you know, affected by it greatly. And I would just encourage you guys to go out and see what has been happening on these, you know, reservations and how they're being killed with impunity by state violence as well. And the same thing with the Latino community is happening in their community and and with the Asian community. Now, not as on a wide scale as with the other, you know, communities, but it is happening to Asian Americans. And, you know, Asian Americans, they have, you know, many of them have stood up and stood in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And, you know, we recognize that. We recognize the Latinos. We recognize the Asians. We recognize the Native Americans. We we recognize the white allies. In addition to that, we recognize everybody across the world, you know, that have sent in well wishes. We received well wishes from Korea, you know, Palestine, over there in Holland, you know, London, just all of these different places. And this is why, you know, I stress to you guys that other countries, they look up to us. Even though in this country there's a lot of propaganda and all they want to do is perpetuate tired old stereotypes and myths, you know, there are people in other countries that look up to us, you know, when they see us fighting for our freedom, fighting to have agency over our bodies and our lives, it gives them courage, and many of them stand up. I'm sure you all have been seeing, um, you know, the protests happening all around the world, and it's important that we understand, you know, that they're standing up for their rights as well. But most importantly, it's, it's, it's imperative that you guys understand what happens over there does impact us over here. So you should be paying attention. You should be recognizing. You know, we post all of these different things on the Black Free Thinkers page as well as on the People of Color Beyond Faith um, Facebook page. And, you know, put it out on Tumblr and Twitter as well and Google. And it's just important that you all kind of read some of these stories and see what's happening. And you see what's happening down in South Carolina. There was a major KKK rally, and we had protesters from all walks of life out there protesting the KKK. And what I need for you guys to understand is that, okay, for some of you, the flag coming down, you know, um, was a victory, but it's more than just the flag. And this is why I say we need to be more politically engaged. It's more than just the flag. We need to get out here and, again, start forcing legislation. And as Ace once said, you know, what happened in Tennessee with, you know, the shootings and the the deaths and the murders, that automatically they called it a domestic terrorism. They called it a terrorist act. Whereas with that, you know, um, domestic terrorist assassin that killed and took those nine innocent lives in, in South Carolina, they don't want to call him a domestic terrorist. You know, talking about they're not sure it was about race when the young man, you know, stated that it was about race. 
So, again, you know, start using the hashtag Black Lives Matter and get out here, get engaged, find out what's happening in each of your individual cities. And so, yeah, you know, it's a lot that's been happening. And, you know, with Sandra Bland, you know, what happened to her just didn't sound right. And so the video was released, and it showed that the police officer violated, you know, policy when he arrested her. And, you know, um, in addition to violating policy, you know, she was trying to post bail. She had called a bondsman, you know, um, right before they found her body. So there's a lot of suspicious activity happening there. The police officer that arrested her has a past of, uh, let's just say, racist tendencies, if you will. And he was terminated from, well, he was allegedly terminated from his last police position because of the racism. And so you need to look into that as well as the prosecutor on this case. Um, This prosecutor has had some issues with racism. And so, you know, you please look into that as well. And, And again, listen to the stories, pay attention to what's happening out there. And, you know, I try to share some of the information and sometimes I just can't do it. And what I mean by that is, you know, seeing all of these unnecessary, you know, murders and killings, it starts to have an impact on you, you know, and you get tired, you get fatigued. And like I said on, you know, the first White Allies show, it's like, you know, tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and we don't get a chance to breathe. We don't get a chance to, you know, mourn or anything like that. It's, it's, you have to decompress, and sometimes you have to take some self-care time and push away. And, you know, that was what I was doing that particular weekend when, you know, Cletus was killed. That was our nickname for him, and, um, you know, that just it was hard. It's still, it's hard. It really is. And so, you know, take some self-care time if that's what you need. But we have to get out here. We have to fight. We have to fight. We have to fight via, you know, um, political, you know, making some political changes and forcing them to address our issues, forcing them to acknowledge and to validate and, and to make sure that, you know, everybody knows that black lives matter, all black lives matter. And, you know, for August, for black August, again, you know, Ace one was talking about that. You can go out and Google black August. And I know we're going to have um, a number of different activities that month and members of the trans community. So, you know, trans people of color, will also um, be featured, you know, that month additionally. And, you know, Black Trans Lives Matter too, guys. And I just want to make sure that you all understand that because, you know, there have been a number of deaths, you know, not only this year, but, you know, in prior years too. And unfortunately, you know, not enough people are addressing what's happening. Not enough 
of that information is coming out. You know, there are some conversations that need to be had, in particular domestic violence in the LGBTQ community. We need to talk about that, too, in addition to the racism in the LGBTQ community, as well as, you know, transphobia, as well as homophobia in the LGBTQ community. And I know some people are saying, well, how is that possible? Trust me, it is possible. And so those are some of the conversations that will be coming up on this podcast, as well as the People of Color Beyond Faith podcast. You know, we're going to be launching that very, very soon. And so, you know, we're excited about it. We're going to have a number of different, um, you know, people that we're going to interview. And so, you know, we're just kind of taking our time, you know, trying to shift the focus and refocus a few things in people of color beyond faith because, like I said, you know, I had a couple of setbacks. And so, you know, had to get the health together first. You know, I can't be out here and not recognizing and not taking care of myself. So, you know, that's important, self-care, because I'm not going to be any good to anyone if, you know, um, if I'm in a hospital. So, you know, we're going to move on from that. But, yeah, so, you know, you have people all over the country now that are starting to recognize. um, We have more white allies out here that are trying to recognize. Now, there's one story that I actually want you all to go out and investigate. I'm not sure if you all are familiar with Nate Silver. Again, Nate Silver. And he's um, he's a stats guru. And he's the one that's been able to basically forecast who would win in, you know, the presidential elections. So he wrote that blacks in America was facing the same type of violence that is happening in Rwanda. Now, that's important. It's important for you guys to go and read that and to understand what's happening. Because, unfortunately, and this is something that, you know, I've spoken with extensively with other people of color, you know, in different communities. And, unfortunately, there are situations in which when black people talk about how badly we're being treated and the discrimination and the segregation and, the number, you know, white supremacy, all of that privilege, you know, a lot of white people tune us out. And they don't listen to us and they don't believe us. And if you ever run into that situation, let me tell you, that's not an ally. And so, you know, it's a lot of things that are happening. But, you know, what's, you know, interesting is when you have people like, Tim Wise and, you know, even Rachel Dolezal, when they get out here, you know, especially now that, you know, everybody knows that Rachel is not a person of color. Um, when they get out here and they talk about these things, white people listen to them. Why? Because it's coming from another white person. And so, you know, we're trying to tear down, you know, that type of response, that type of non-engagement. And for some people, you know, they do it. It's it's like, you know, subconscious bias. And that's why you hear us talking about white privilege. We hear us talking about, you know, are you listening to us? And, you know, and questioning certain things because, you know, white allies, you can't be silent anymore. We can't afford it. We need for you all to get out here and to talk. 
because there's so much that's happening, and it does not seem to be getting better. And I know there were some people who thought that when President Obama was elected in 2008, that things would change drastically for the better. They felt that by President Obama being in office, that a lot of this racism would go away or, you know, it would be tempered. And it's been the exact opposite. You know, there are a lot of people who actually thought that we were past racism in the United States. And it it hasn't. You know, this country is not colorblind, and we truly aren't post-racial. And this is why we get upset when people start saying, all lives matter. And so there was one person that wanted to debate on my wall, and they were like, nope, they're not going to say black lives matter, all lives matter. And again, you're, you're perfectly welcome to your opinion, but I'm not going to give you, you know, a sounding board. And so you know, I turned around and blocked that person. And because if all lives truly mattered, we wouldn't have to say black lives matter. We wouldn't have to be out here protesting in the streets. We would not have to be out here and, you know, just being totally, you know, demoralized by, you know, the atrocities that are happening because it's not only state violence, but there have been crimes in which you had white vigilantes, you know, out here in the street killing, you know, black bodies, i.e. George Zimmerman. And so... You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. What's really happening? What's really going on out here? Because, you know, if people are able to shoot and kill black bodies because they feel that they're being disrespected by black people, you know, again, you know, it's taking us all the way back. And this is one of the reasons why you had a major migration of blacks from the south to the north especially after emancipation. And so it's important that you go back and you read that, you know, those accounts. And additionally, I would advise you guys to go and read about the different cities that were predominantly black, that were prosperous. You know, you have Black Wall Street. You've heard me talk about that. You know, I've talked about Tulsa. I've talked about Rosewood. I've talked about Wilmington. I talked about the community, and I forget the name. I know it, but I forget it. But it was a a very prosperous black town in New York, and they were run out of town and killed and murdered so that, you know, and then New York built Central Park on top of it. Seneca, that's the name of the community. It was called Seneca. And so, um, guys, just go back out. Do your research. Those aren't the only four towns. I mean, you know, you have places in California and a number of other places. And so it's important. And, you know, um, you know, talking with a number of people, there were some people that were from Portland, Oregon. And <laughs> for those that aren't aware, Portland, Oregon has a very interesting history. And a lot of people don't realize the racism, you know, that takes place. And some of it is just totally outrageous. I believe it was, you know, in the 90s or maybe the early 2000s that basically they took a law off the books. And this law stated that black people should be, you know, whipped at least once a year. 
and they just took that off the books. So go and look that up. Go and look up the history of racism in Oregon. Um, and so, you know, one of the women from that area, women of color, and she was talking about what was taking place up there. And her family also had an incident with state violence. And she was talking about the racism and, you know, how they're fighting up there. And so, you know, the reason why I'm bringing up Portland, Oregon, is because, you know, a lot of these cities still have a lot of these antiquated laws on the books. And people don't know about it. And that's why we share information from all over. Um, we definitely would tell you guys to go and do some research about Canada. Reach out and sorry, yeah, reach reach out. That's good too. But research about Nova Scotia and the blacks up there, as well as Wilberforce, and you know a number of different things. It's just it's important that you guys understand because, like I said, you know we want to make sure that we understand that these black lives, all of these black lives, matter. You know, not just in the United States, but all over the world. But, you know, we have to focus on what's happening at home, just like they are focusing. Because, you know, Black Lives Matter is in Canada, too. You know, so what's interesting is that, you know, one of the um, co-founders of Black Lives Matter, you know, you know, she just came back from Rome. So it's important, you know, they are going to these different places you know, a lot of people are starting to stand up for their rights, stand up for their humanity, stand up for their agency. So it's just important that you guys understand what's happening. And I know it can be scary. And I know there's people out there that are scared. They're living in fear. You know, the young man that took the video of the police, um, you know, killing Eric Garner. You know, now he's facing jail time. I believe he's facing, like, 60 years, either 40 or 60, somewhere. But, I mean, that's a lot of jail time. And, you know, sometimes he said he wishes that he never took the video, but he knew it was the right thing to do. And so we need to make sure that we support him as well and encourage him, you know, in these dark times that are happening. Because, you know, if if that video had not surfaced, no one, you know, quite of what we would have believed it, but, you know, the powers that be would have found a way to brush that under the rug and to basically tell us that we're being paranoid and that doesn't happen. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in this country, you know, white and black and, you know, you know red and yellow and, you know, all of these different people. And, you know, they would say, oh, that's not happening. That that happened way back when. That doesn't happen now. Well, many of them, their tunes have changed because, again, with the technology, with the advent of, you know, every phone having a video camera in it and people are filming it, you know, um, that's one of the reasons why the police officers, some of them are upset about the cameras, some of them are upset because we're demanding civilian oversight of the police departments. And so, you know, and, and, and many of them are upset because they will no longer be able to kill black, brown, red, yellow, white bodies with impunity. And so, you know, I know I was talking to one of my white allies over the weekend, and we were talking about how, you know, in many, you know, poor white communities, how they are also being victimized by the police 
and their stories aren't being told. And, you know, I think it's important that their stories are told and that they are able to get out here and, you know, express themselves. You know, unfortunately, in in some of those cases, you know, they are sometimes, um, they vote against their own self-interest. And that comes from, you know, the political grandstanding and, you know, racism and a number of other factors there. And, you know, I would love for us to be able to have a conversation because um, before Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, he had started the Poor People's Campaign. And with that campaign, it was basically an aggregation of all of these different communities, including poor whites. And so, you know, go out there and look up Poor People's Campaign um, and also look up Tent City. In Washington, D.C., they had set up a tent city. And I remember in 2007, 2008, you know, when we had that mortgage crisis, how people were setting up tent cities all across the country. And, you know, you had the police coming in there and tearing them down. And, you know, even now, you know, being homeless is not a crime. And we have to start addressing some of these issues because there are too many people in this country that despise poor people, people that are living in poverty. And, you know, it's it's expressed in a number of different ways. And, again, you have these negative stereotypes out there, but there are actually more poor whites than poor blacks. And I'm just talking raw numbers. You know, I'm not talking about statistics. And, again, we're going to have to have that conversation because, again, it's about making life better for all of our communities. But, you know, in regards to black lives and all black lives mattering, you know, it's imperative. You know, at this point, there there is no more wait. We do not have time to wait. It has to happen now. And we have to force them to address our issues. And so, you know, we've seen them, you know, make statements. You know, Hillary Clinton, you know, made a statement. Um, Bernie Sanders made a statement, you know, after the Net Nation um, protest yesterday. So I would encourage you guys to go and read Bernie's um, response to the Black Lives Matter protesters. And, you know, what they're doing is extremely courageous. That takes a lot of courage, you guys. You know, especially if you're in the middle of a room and, let's say, you know, a thousand people are there. Just give it a nice round number. And out of that thousand people, you know, you may have 25 blacks. And out of those 25 blacks, you may only have five protesters that were able to get into that session. You may have some on the outside that are out there protesting and picketing, but when you're five people in a room of a thousand folks and you stand up to protest and to challenge, that's, that takes a lot of courage. It really does. And that's why I think it's important that, you know, for the different activists, you know, not only with Black Lives Matter, but, you know, different activists, you know, in different movements here, it's important that you stand up and you make yourselves known. 
And even if the other 20 blacks in the room aren't agreeing with you and, you know, they have some other type of agenda, it does not matter. Your voice counts. Your needs count. You know, you're wanting to have a better life. That counts. Because one of the issues, you know, what makes it so hard is that a lot of this history has been hidden. A lot of this history people don't know. And so when you stand up to protest, you know, some people will say, oh, that was fixed in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. You know, why are you protesting now? We're protesting because the state of the black community is in worse shape than what it was during the 60s and the 70s. It really is. So we've taken major steps back, and that's why I believe this podcast is so important because, you know, we tell you about the history. We give you the information. We, you know, we want to pique your interest. We encourage you guys to go out and look this information up. And I know I threw some people for a loop when I did the show on affirmative action, and I talked about affirmative action for white people and how a lot of these programs were started. See, a lot of people don't know that, you know, black and white. And I've had some white people say to me, well, they didn't know anything about this history. They didn't know that these things were happening. And that's how it's supposed to be. You know, that's that's how they, you know, the media has set it up. You know, a lot of the propaganda in this country. And, you know, even when Red Ninja called in, he was saying that he didn't learn about any of this until he went to college and had to pay for the classes. And so, you know, myself and I know Raina and a number of other people, you know, we feel that you deserve to have this information. And this is why we share it on the show. And I know some people are like, you know, she's always talking about the racial incidents. And, you know, we're beyond that. No, we aren't. We are not beyond that. If we were beyond that, we wouldn't be out here protesting. We wouldn't be saying, you know, you know, the inequality. We wouldn't be suffering. And so, you know, like I said, it's important for you guys to, to understand that. And it seems like a lot of the younger people are, under, you know, starting to understand that better. These young folks, like I said, they have surprised me. And I admire them for the courage that they've shown. I admire them for not allowing the old civil rights vanguard to come in and take over and to intimidate them because you had a number of members of the old black civil rights vanguard trying to come in and tell, you know, these young people to go home, to go home and pray about it. I mean, you know, when Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton went down to Ferguson, they were telling them to go home and then turned around and asked for a donation. And they were booed off the stage, rightfully. In Baltimore, when, you know, the, the young people protested, you had people like Jamal Bryant and Iyala Van Zandt up there scolding and chastising them, telling them to go home. But then you, you switch to the next picture, and here's Jamal Bryant linking arms with people marching, trying to make himself the next, you know, MLK. And what's so unique about the Black Lives Matter movement is that they are not appointing a particular figurehead to head this. And unfortunately, you have opportunists, you know, like Jamal Bryant. 
out here trying to make himself the head or Al Sharpton with that, you know, march on Washington that they had last year, trying to make himself the de facto head. And, you know, these young folks, they're rejecting it, rightfully so. And if you go back and you look up SNCC, which is S-N-C-C, the way that they um, started and the way they organized SNCC, that was Diane Nash and Ella Baker, and it was leaderless. And one of the reasons why is because there was some conflict with Ella Baker over with um, over what was happening with the civil rights movement and um, MLK being the figurehead. And so one of the issues there is when Martin Luther King was assassinated, everybody got scared and scattered. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, you have some people that are reluctant to be um, at the forefront or the head of some of these movements because it seems as though those people are, you know, always either murdered or, you know, they find a way to put them in jail or, you know, political um, prisoners and just a number of different issues. So people, some people are scared to take that position, whereas when you have a leaderless, you know, type of movement, I mean, there is organization. Now, understand that, you know, there is order. But, you know, everybody has the opportunity to be a leader. Everybody brings to the table some type of skill or something that will help push that movement along. So it's important for people to understand, and what's so wonderful about this movement is that everybody's voice matters. All black voices matter. And you all need to understand that. So that's why we're addressing, you know, the black LGBTQ movement. We're addressing the black trans people of color movement and a number of other movements. You know, it's it's like an aggregation. And so that's extremely important because they're saying all black lives matter. So they don't want to exclude anybody. And so it's just it's just absolutely wonderful. And like I said, I've been admiring um, what's been happening for a while. I've been 100% supportive, posted the information, telling people what's going on, and I will continue to do so. But, you know, again, as I've stated to you guys, you know, what we're doing here, you know, in the secular community, there is more to life than your ideology. And unfortunately, you have people in this community who don't care about other black lives. They they only care about what they want and what they're doing, and they don't want to engage anyone or talk about social justice. They don't want to necessarily engage anyone and talk about humanism. And when I say humanism, I'm looking at it from a number of different perspectives. You have secular humanists, you have Christian humanists, as well as many other, you know, different, you know, iterations of it. And so it's just, it's important that, you know, we recognize that. And, you know, atheism is not enough. It just isn't. And you can see that, you know, because the apathy in this community in this community, not just, you know, with atheists of color, but just the overall community as a whole. I just see the apathy, and, you know, it's very disheartening. It's actually upsetting. 
And this is why sometimes when I have these conversations with people and they want to complain about what's happening in these different communities and some of the news stories that are coming out that are quote-unquote negative to them, my question is, but what are you doing? What are you doing to make things better? Have you gone back into the community to talk to any of the people? Have, you know, are, you know, any of your organizations or groups out there organizing in the community to help people, helping to feed them, you know, helping to educate them? I mean, you know, for the past couple of years, I've gone out for the National HIV Testing Day, handing out information and, you know, encouraging people to know their status. You know, that's extremely important because, unfortunately, in the black community, the numbers are pandemic. And it doesn't have to be that way. We have to educate people. We have to make make it known that this abstinence-only education is not working. We have to address the fact that there are not enough Planned Parenthoods, you know, in communities of color. So they're not able to get to, you know, the Planned Parenthood so that they can get the birth control and the prophylactics that they need. And so, you know, it was interesting because I read an article the other day and it was talking about abortion and how, you know, the majority of the women that had an abortion, how they felt that it was the best thing they could have done because they didn't want to bring, you know, children into the to work into the world that they couldn't afford to feed, that they couldn't afford to educate, and a number of other things. And there have been some experiments in different cities in which they've made birth control more available to the young people. And guess what? Birth rates went down. People were happier. They were utilizing, you know, the information that had been given to them. And so this is something that needs to be addressed. Because, you know, that falls within Black Lives Matter as well. You know, so we need to talk about, you know, the lack of educational and economic opportunities, you know, in our community. And so earlier, I mentioned about Mayor Rahm Emanuel here in Chicago. And, you know, when he spoke at Vonzell's funeral, he was talking about, you know, black parents, and in particular, black fathers, and how we have to have that, you know, that hard conversation. And the reason why I'm about to smack it down right now is because, again, you know, I would encourage you guys to go out and look some information up about black fatherhood and statistics and information. Statistically, black fathers are more engaged with their children than white fathers, and it's important that we challenge you know, these tropes that they're trying to parade out here to further perpetuate mythology and stereotypes on the black community. You all need to understand this. You know, um, a lot of this that's being put out there in the media, they're doing that to to even further, you know, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm trying to figure out the right word to say, but that is out there to discourage us even more. And so, you you know, I'll tell anyone in a heartbeat, the news, the regular news, you know, there's a lot of propaganda in there. I would advise you to read alternative news. 
I love Al Jazeera. Um, I love that newspaper. Well, you know, the online paper. And, you know, you have Alternet. You have BBC. Read newspapers from other countries. Why? Because in many cases they have not watered down the story. So, you know, what's been interesting is, you know, a number of people and I have had these conversations and we've talked about how we learned more about what was happening in the in America from foreign newspapers. So it's important that you guys know this and you understand this. And so I mean if you want to contact me, you can do so um on Facebook. You know, there are a number of things that you know, I actually want to talk about. Um, I'm reading the book, The Half That's Never Been Told, and it talks about capitalism, and, you know, it just looks, it's, it's a great book, gosh. You know, I can't say that, you know, too many times. And I just got the ebook for Ta-Nehisi Coates' book, and so it's like 10 bucks, you know, for the ebook for, you know, that. And I'm looking forward to reading that as well. And what's interesting is, you know, the um, how can I put it, Cornel West decided that he wanted to critique Ta-Nehisi Coates. And so I'm not really going to go into that very much because there's been one thing after the other, Michael Eric Dyson and, and Cornel West, you know, about a month ago and their conflict, and now you have this with Cornel West criticizing Ta-Nehisi Coates, and then Michael Eric Dyson jumping into the mix. And we're sitting back and we're looking at this. But at the end of the day, um, just go out there if you feel like it, if you feel like reading about that. You know, it's been interesting, somewhat amusing. But, you know, again, there are conversations that need to be had, and it's important that you guys go out here and you understand what's really happening. Um, you know, they like to talk about, you know, out-of-wedlock births in black communities. And in all actuality, that number is going down as well. So that number is decreasing, you know, and we need to get out here. We need to educate each other. Um, during the Moving Social Justice Conference last year, we talked about how a lot of black organizations were shut out of funding coming from the CDC because you had larger white organizations, you know, receiving the monies. And we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, there are a couple of, you know, white organizations in the Chicago area that have received grants, major grants, major money, to go into, you know, black and brown communities to educate people on HIV and AIDS. And, you know, to be honest with you, I really haven't heard much about what they're doing in those communities. I can't say that they're not doing anything. However, I find it suspect, and this is why I say with, you know, all of these 501c3s that IRS needs to go in and do a line item audit, find out what happened to the money, what they did with it, because they're supposed to keep records of all of that. And so, you know, I'm just putting that out there, that that's something that you guys, you need to start looking at this. When you donate money to these organizations, you have a right to demand that they account for the funding. You know, that they tell you what the money went towards, what it was used for, 
because unfortunately you have a lot of misappropriation happening in, you know, um, some of these organizations. As a matter of fact, you know, I don't watch reality TV, so I'm about to screw this all the way up. Um, it was a woman from one of them shows, that's how I'll put it. And and she was in the D.C. area, and so she was receiving money for after-school tutoring programs, and she didn't use the money for any of those things at all. She just took the money and ran, and so you know, that issue is being addressed and, you know, that's happening all across the country, especially when you have some of these programs, they don't have one picture, not one, of any of the people that they are allegedly assisting and no accountability, nobody is questioning anything, and we need to start questioning that. Um, You know, there are a number of people, they call it the nonprofit industrial complex. And, you know, um, go out and Google that. I'm sure you'll find out a lot of information that has not been made available. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, again, you have a lot of misappropriation of funds, and that needs to be addressed. And so we've seen it in this community. We've seen it in other communities. We've seen it with different people, especially the NAACP. You know, they've had leadership who use the funds to, you know, basically as hush money for their, you know, extracurricular mistresses, you know, giving them money and buying them homes. And, you know, this happens across the board because, you know, a lot of this is happening in white organizations as well. Give you one example, you know, what was happening over here with SCA and the atheist community and how, you know, some of the monies were used to pay for people's plastic surgery and, you know, money disappearing, you know, with another organization down in Florida. It's it's, it's happening across the board, you know, all of these organizations. And that's why I say, you know, there needs to be a line item audit. So I'm just bringing that to your attention so that you can, you know, go out and take a look. And especially for some of these organizations that receive money for black and brown communities, you know, and like we say, all black lives matter. And if they're receiving money to come and help in a community and they're not doing that, that is another form of violence on our community. Because if you're supposed to be in our community and educating people on HIV and AIDS or educating people on how to, you know, uh, basically, you know, day-to-day living. In some regards, you know, they'll receive money to feed school children during the summer. You know, you, you have, you know, different grants for that, how to feed school children during the summer. But if they're not feeding the kids and they keep the money, that is violence towards our community because they're stealing. It's theft, grand larceny. And so, you know, it's, it's important that we understand these things. And if, if they've been given monies to perform certain tasks and they're not doing it, that's, that's violence. And so it's just important that you guys understand that. It's important that we start confronting these issues. It's important that we start talking about this. So, you know, again, that's part of, you know, the matter. You know, this this equation has so many different factors, and that's what's beautiful about a lot of these different movements and how, you know, we're standing in 
solidarity with one another like an alliance or a collective. And every, you know, factor is doing what they need to do because we know what the end goal is and what what we're trying to achieve. So, you know, guys, it's important that you know that, that you stay engaged, that you find out what's happening. Um, You know, the conference this weekend is going to be absolutely phenomenal. And like I said, I'm going to come back and give notes. So no show next Sunday because I won't be able to do that. But rest assured, the next Sunday after that, oh, we're going to have a lot to talk about. I'm going to come back, share with you guys what I learned And, you know, hopefully I'll have a lot more information and, you know, encourage you guys to get active, to get involved in whatever capacity that you can. Because, like I said, for some people, all they can do is post up the information, and that's absolutely beautiful because the information will get to other people that we otherwise would not have been able to make contact with. So, you know, we want you to know that we appreciate you and we appreciate that as well. Because, again, you know, sitting around, twiddling our thumbs, that's not going to get anything done. And like I've said to some of the believers that listen to my show, you know, you have some people out here that are saying, well, I need to pray about it and let God direct me or let the Holy Spirit direct me and give me guidance. And, you know, and basically, you know, the way that I expressed myself on that was, you know, maybe you've already been supplied the information and the tools needed. Maybe you've already been supplied that, and so you've already been given the answer. So, you know, like I said, I know this is scary, and I know there are some, you know, black believers and just believers across the board that have been taught through the church not to engage in political talk, not to, you know, in some cases they've been taught not to vote. Um, They've been taught not to talk about political issues that are happening. And, you know, there are a lot of different, you know, denominations and organizations that have since changed their minds on this. And so, again, you know, it's just as important that you guys go out here and you understand. And I know I said I was going to get at Mayor Emanuel, but I think I'm going to write write about it. For those of you who know me, you know I am not crazy about writing blogs, but I feel that at this point that it's imperative that we start putting that information out there. And a number of other things that I'm working on for not only black free thinkers, but people of color beyond faith. So I just had to take some time out, decompress, prioritize some things, but most importantly, I had to, you know, address some issues um, with my health, and it's still not totally addressed, but, you know, within the next couple of weeks, you know, hopefully someone will have some answers for me. And so, you know, again, we're moving on. Guys, get out there and get engaged look this information up. You don't have to wait for me to come back two weeks from now to look up Black Lives Matter in a city near you. And so get engaged, and I know they do things regionally, and it's not even just the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, you have other groups out there that are working towards, you know, 
the freedom of people of color, you know, working towards issues that are extremely important to us. And so, guys, get out there, get engaged. And like I said, if you can't get out there and be there physically, if you can't donate financially, that's okay. Go and look up some information and put that out there for people to find so that they can get out there. You know, I'm always being invited to stuff on Facebook. And, you know, I'm really bad about that. So I'm going to make a conscientious effort to start paying attention to those invitations. And, you know, I haven't been putting anything on a meetup for people of color lately. I need to get back in that and start doing that more. And so, you know, I I don't only put up information about what's happening in Chicago. I put up information about what's happening in L.A., New York, D.C., you know, a, a number of places. So, I mean, if you want me to put your information up, please let me know. Invite me. I promise I'm going to start paying more attention to that and, you know, moving forward. But, yeah, all all of these Black Lives Matter. And I know some people are out there and they're saying, why does she keep saying all of these Black Lives Matter? Because the only thing I know is black. I've never been Latino. I've never been Asian. I've never been Native. And I've never been white. So my experience is a black experience. And this is what I know. And this is what I've seen. And this is what I have experienced. And by no means am I diminishing you know, other people's life's experiences. Not at all. You know, and that's why we encourage you guys to call in. Call in. Don't be afraid. You know, if you're Latino, you're Native, you're Asian, you're white, call into the show. You know, I'm you're very open to that. You know, call in and tell your story. You know, unless you're a white supremacist, we don't want to hear that story. You know, and so it's just interesting. And, you know, they had uh, some white supremacists trying to um, (laughs) come to the conference next week and and trying to get engaged, and they had to shoot that down quickly. But it's just interesting about what's happening out there. And so when, you know, I was talking with someone and they told me about that, I said to them, that's funny, but it's not. And they, they agreed. And so you have a lot of these things happening. And, you know, again, you know, we've talked about this extensively on the show. You have some people out here that are white supremacists and blackface. And this is why we tell you that it is very important for you to listen to what these people are saying and for you to question what they're talking about. Question everything. Question everybody. You know, when you question me, I don't get offended by it. Trust me, I don't. You know, I've been corrected on the show. I've been corrected off the show. And I've come back and I've told you, okay, guys, I got that messed up. But, again, like I said, there's a lot of things happening out here. What's happening in Chicago is extremely exciting. And like I said, we received reparations for the victims of police violence here, particularly what was happening with John Burge. And so you look that up, and like I say, we have people from different cities, you know, across the country coming here to find out how that was done. So that was a major, major hurdle, a major, major milestone. You know, my hat's off, and I have a hand clap for those that – 
you know, persevered and were relentless with pursuing that. And so now, as Aislinn was talking about the civilian political, I'm sorry, the civilian police auxiliary council, you know, they're trying to get civilian oversight of, you know, police activities of, you know, the police board. And so it's important. And once we achieve that, and yes, we are going to get it done, you know, we, we're hoping that this is a domino effect that happens throughout, you know, this country. It's important. It's time. You know, I remember back in the day we would say time is winding up, and that was a religious thing, but, you know, time's out. You know, and that goes for, you know, us, you know, demanding that they recognize and acknowledge and, you know, our humanity. But in addition to that, white allies, time is up for you to, you can't be silent anymore. It's unacceptable at this point. It really is. And so we need for you to be out there. We need for you to vocalize. You know, we need you out there, you know, marching with us. We need you out there, you know, with us making signs, you know, um, even, you know, with the Black Lives Matter um, chapter here in Chicago, there are a number of white people that attend the meetings because I know I've heard from some, you know, white people that they want to help, they don't know where to start, and some of them, you know, feel that these groups are just for black people only so they don't want to encroach. And, you know, again, these meetings are filled with people of many different nationalities, different ethnicities, different cultures. Come on. Come on, because we need the bodies. And like Aisla said, we packed out the room. So, you know, they, they packed it out. I wasn't at that this Thursday, so I didn't get a chance to attend that. But they're doing it, guys. Get out here. This is real. This is real. This is not fly by night. We have to make some progress. We have to be able to move forward. And so with that being said, did these black lives matter before they became a hashtag? The answer to that is yes. All caps, bolded, double underlined with a few exclamation points. And what we're trying to do is make sure that everybody knows these black lives matter and get out here and affecting and impacting change. And so, you know, you have a lot of people that are politically engaged, and there is strength in numbers. And so that's why we're encouraging you guys to come out. For those that can march, that's great. I can't march, but I can send some cases of water and, you know, uh, just, I mean, it's, it's a number of things, but, you know, we need you. And, you know, it's important that you guys understand that for those that know me, you know, I'm very passionate about my work. You know, am I perfect? Not by any means. Nowhere near perfect. And nor do I try to say that I'm perfect. You know, I I make mistakes like everybody else. And life goes on. You push on. And so, you know, again, it's interesting, but it's, you know, a lot of information out here. Um, like I said, we have an archive of close to 300 shows. It's right at about 300. You go out there and listen and, you know, engage folks. You know, get on Twitter, Facebook, however, you know, however works best for you. You know, that's what I'm trying to say today. 
So, you know, we will continue bringing you guys, you know, information and, you know, again, piquing that interest. And, you know, I'm reading a few really good books right now, but I definitely want to have a show about capitalism. And I also want to do a show on socialism. And for those out there that are aware, you know, and if you're not aware, I'm about to make you aware, um, many of the great radical black humanists of the past, many of them were associated with, um, you know, socialist organizations, in some cases communist organizations. And so, you know, you had people like Hubert Henry Harrison, my hero there, I love that man. Um, you know, he was a socialist, so, you know, go out. You know, you have John G. Um, uh, I can't believe I forgot his name. I apologize. Oh, John G. Jackson. There you go. You have him. You have Asa Philip Randolph. You have Bayard Rustin. You have um, Zeromeo Hurston. You have Noah Larson. Go, up, go look some up of um, Lucy Parson. Now, that right there is an eye-opener. And Lucy was fishy, guys. Um, so, you know, you have a number of different people. Um, just get out there. Get out there. Learn some of the history. And, you know, there are many, many, many more. You know, I just named a few, but there are many more out there. Everybody knows that, you know, I enjoy W.E.B. Du Bois and his writing. And, you know, go back you know, do some reading. Um, you know, some of the books that we talk about, you can go and you can get them for a penny on Amazon. I mean, the shipping and handling costs more than a book. You know, I've told people to, you know, if you go to um, Goodwill or other places, you can get the books. And we're going to have to have a show on that as well because you have different organizations that will employ people that have disabilities and they pay them less than minimum wage. And, you know, that has been allowed under the law. And that needs to stop as well because they have bills to pay. They have families to raise. So, I mean, we're going to talk about ableism and, you know, a number of different things that are happening out there. And, you know, my model, follow the money. If it doesn't seem right, more than likely it ain't. Follow the money. It's important that you guys understand that. So, on that note, I think I am about to clear out and get ready for my day. So, again, this is Kimberly, Kimberly Veal. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And one other important thing, um, you know, thing that I would like to say is that, you know, over here with what I'm doing, I have no problem working with believers. I have no problem working with, you know, secular people. It's about getting the job done. And, you know, if you're, you know, homophobic, transphobic, um, you know, if you're an ableist, if you're just an all-around creep, no, we won't be working together, so don't waste your time. And so there you go. I said it. It is what it is. All right, you guys, you all have a great rest of the weekend. Take care and see you in a couple of weeks.